Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. The message tonight is coming from the cha- or book of Luke, in chapter 14 and verses 15 through 24. It's the uh, parable of the Great Supper. Luke 14, 15 through 24. And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and shewed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed, and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go onto the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you, that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for believing that I'm a tool that could be used for you. I pray, Lord, that your words, as Pastor Hendricks said this morning, that your words will come out and not my own. I pray, Lord, that someone somewhere could be touched by this message. And again, it's not to glorify me, but it's to glorify you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. My message is entitled RSVP. Now, many of you are familiar with that. We recently had our Christmas cantata, and we were encouraged to go out and invite people very early. Somewhat like this guy sending his servant out for the invitation. Well, guess what happened? You had people that said they were going to come, and they didn't. I don't know. I won't read it in French, but RSVP. P means please reply. I know you know that. I didn't. It was French. I won't read the French. So how did you respond to an RSVP that you might have been get given by someone? I'm sure we've all been given an RSVP or an invitation to some event or some wedding, something. And we had to decide what we were going to do with our response. What was it that influenced your response? Have you ever declined an invitation? And if so, why? Have you ever ignored an invitation and just never responded to the invitation and just threw threw it out? When giving an invitation, if you have ever given an invitation, who did you invite and why? Who did you not invite and why? And why did you not invite them and why? With our recent uh, presentation of the Christmas cantata, you know, I, I said we were eagerly to go out and invite people. And it was usually to come to hear the gospel message, was it not? And we usually invited people that we felt have never heard the gospel. 
maybe didn't know the gospel message. And we want, or didn't even understand it, but we wanted them to come to hear it. Maybe they could understand it through the presentation that was going on during the cantata. As, after all, Christ's Great Commission in Matthew 28 tells us to go out and share and teach the message of Jesus Christ to all nations. As I mentioned earlier, with all the invitations, they required a response, to which there are many. Some are, we already have other plans or obligations. We are busy that night or we have to work. It was an inconvenient time. And much like the hymn we just sang, I didn't pull from Agrippa, I pulled from Felix. In Acts chapter 24, when Paul spoke to him concerning the faith in Christ, he said, And he, as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. How many people is this not convenient for? And why? Many people are willing to discuss religion if it doesn't touch their lives too personally. Because when it does, they usually resist and eventually leave. While the reasons or excuses may vary, one thing they probably have in common, and it's insincerity, or they're not genuine. A way of sparing someone's feelings while not genuinely expressing their own. It is said that excuses are fashioned for convenience and clung to in desperation. Charles Spurgeon said, Excuses are curses, and when you have no excuses left, there will be hope for you. In our parable of the Great Supper here in Luke 14, it says in verse 16, A certain man made a great supper and bade or invited many. I didn't know this until I did some studying. In this culture, it was customary when banquets or wedding feasts were given to send out two invitations. One was so that the announcement could be extended long before the event was to take place. And the second was to let everybody know that it was ready. The time was at hand. This invitation was in this parable to the future banquet in the kingdom of God, verse 15. And it says, and when one of them sat at meat, when he heard him say these things, blessed is he that shall eat of the bread of the kingdom of God. If you look previously in, in verse 14, just up ahead, the one Pharisee talked about the future banquet of Christ. So we're talking about the supper of the lamb, the future banquet that's going to take place for all those who believe. And I said, I believe that this invitation this first invitation to prepare people of this banquet was in Genesis 3.15. In Genesis 3.6, we see that Adam and Eve sinned. And I find it very amazing that just nine verses later, God is giving them the announcement of this first invitation. He says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. God was telling them of a coming Redeemer. And it goes on throughout the Old Testament and completes in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek 
shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant, whom you delight in, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. In this particular passage, there are two messengers in this verse. The first is usually understood as John the Baptist. Prepare the way before me. And the second is Jesus the Messiah, for whom both Malachi and John the Baptist prepared the way. Now, there's, there's plenty more invitations or the calling or the coming of a Redeemer in the Old Testament. It's throughout the Old Testament. The many announcements were made. And it's funny, remember when Adam and Eve broke their fellowship with God in Genesis 3? It wasn't long before he was searching and looking for them. They hid. But he came looking for them. And I find it very peculiar that Adam and Eve, Eve particularly, I believe, knew this verse. Because in chapter 4, she goes, Behold, the Lord hath given me a son. I believe that at that point, she thought that that son was the Redeemer that God had given her. And she said, Behold, he hath given me a son. This is, this is the man, or the boy that's going to take us and redeem us from our sin. You can take that as a grain of salt, but that's what I believe. It, she believed it. And she said, Well, why would she say, Look, the Lord has given me a man. And it says, God is holy and he hates sin. And he must punish sinners. And in God, uh, Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ or Jesus Christ, our Lord. Did Adam and Eve sin? Yes. Did they get justice? No. Because it says, for the wages of sin are death. And Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve continued to live. Most people want to refer to this as the spiritual death. But I'm going to talk about physical death. If the wages of sin are death... It's not just a spiritual death, it's also a physical death. And we see that Adam and Eve did not, were not killed instantly by God. That was his requirement, death, for violating my law. But God in, in Adam and Eve was showing his mercy from the start to all humanity. He had every right to kill Adam and Eve, but he didn't. If God freely made man... And freely gave man his life and freely gave man the conditions to continue life. And if man chose to violate those conditions, don't you think God has every right to take that life back? After all, he gave it freely. If God gave the conditions and we violate them, is that fair? God's mercy let them live. And at the time that he showed them that mercy in the garden, that's when also the plan of the cross was activated. Because God was merciful to sinners, someone had to pay the price for his justice, and that person was going to come through the man, Christ Jesus. And the cross at that point became a fixed reality. Some passages, Matthew twenty twenty eight. even so... The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. This first invitation that we're talking about as the announcement of this 
huge wedding feast or supper, great supper, I believe was coming through the nation of Israel throughout the Old Testament. In Genesis 12, 3, we see that the Lord had spoken to Abraham and said, I will make of thee a great nation, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. It wasn't just for Israel, it was for the entire earth. In Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 9, we read that God chose Israel because he loved them. And he kept the oath he swore to their forefathers. Jesus had to come for some nation of people. And God chose Israel. However, his reason for choosing the nation of Israel was not solely on the purpose of producing the Messiah. God's desire for Israel was that they could go and teach others about him. They were a nation of priests, prophets, and missionaries to the world. They were to be a distinct people, a nation who pointed others toward God, and he, he has promised provision of a Redeemer, Messiah, and Savior. If you also notice that in the epistle of Peter, he calls us a nation of priests, believers, Gentiles. We also have that entitlement being called nation of priests. So what do you think that tells you that we must do? But see, however, for the most part, Israel failed in its task. We can look throughout the Old Testament and see the history of Israel, how they fell away from God's word over and over. They backslid, they they rebelled against God, and they failed in what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to take the land of Canaan, did they? Did they do what God told them to do? No. No. And when they got there, what did they want? Hey, I want a king like all the nations around us. They were rejecting God at that point as well. Rejecting God. This nation that was supposed to tell people about God and of God and show these people around them his character have failed. So God used Moses and the prophets to tell people, not just people, the world, to tell Israel. Because as we learned in Jeremiah today by Pastor Hendricks, what was he doing? He went to the nation of Israel and tell them, hey, straighten up, act right. But what have I done, is what he said. What have I done? I haven't done anything wrong. That's what they said. That's what people say. But for the most part, in Hebrews 1.1, to let you know that God spoke through Moses and the prophets, it says, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. The Jews were God's chosen people, and Israel was the birthplace of God's work. The Old Testament prophets presented many predictions of the coming Messiah, and the Jews were waiting for the fulfillment of those predictions for over a thousand years. And it says here, Israel was the nation God had cultivated to bring salvation to the world. The religious leaders not only frustrated their nation's, frustrated their nation's purpose, they also killed those prophets, trying to fulfill it, God's purpose. They were so jealous and possessive that they forgot the welfare of the very people they were supposed to be bringing to God. And as we see in the New Testament, the religious leaders pick and chose who was worthy or not to be told the gospel message. And Jesus, I believe, said that you, 
who teach the people, you will teach people to be twice the devil you are. They didn't even want to teach their own people. They reserved it for themselves. They became possessive and didn't want to share the gospel message. So, in verse 17, so what I'm saying is the first invitation came through the prophets, and it should have come through the nation of Israel as well. And it did, but in a fractured way. But now we're going to get to the second invitation, and we're going to see that in verse 17. And sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden. Now, I believe those that were bidden was the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. Come, for all things are now ready. Where does that take us? Where do you think it takes us? I believe it takes us to Jesus Christ. He's giving the second invitation. He came to tell you that the, the kingdom of God is at hand. He came. Remember the story of the parable of the vineyard? How God sent his servants to that vineyard and the Jewish leaders didn't want them, so they killed them or at least stoned them, beat them, got rid of them. And then when surely they'll accept my son, they have to. What did they do to his son that wanted to tell them about the vineyard? You know, the vineyard was Israel in that parable. And Jesus was going to Israel to tell them, hey, the person you're looking for for over a thousand years is here. I'm here. I just find it amazing. And it says in Mark 1:15, and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe in the gospel. This is Jesus' own words. These are his own words. The kingdom of God is at hand. Because it says, eat bread in the kingdom of God. Hebrews 1.2, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. Made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And in Ephesians 1, 10 and 12, I know sometimes the scriptures, all this passing out or throwing out of scriptures could be tough to keep up with and maybe make you lose your train of thought. So I'm going to try to keep it a little less than that. But it says God's plan for the world would not truly be understood until Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Why do you think, why do you think the religious leaders wanted to hide that so much? They even bribed the guards and said, hey, don't worry. If, the leader, if your governor comes to us, we'll tell him. We got it taken care of. These men were lying about Jesus' resurrection. And in verse 18, here it comes. And they would all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have brought a, bought a piece of land or ground and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. Another, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray have me excused and listen to this third one and listen to how it ends. And another said, I have married a wife. I pray thee have me excused. No, it doesn't say that. It says, and therefore I cannot come. 
He didn't want to come. I cannot, Jesus, at least he's, the first two said, pray thee to have me excused. And this last one said, I don't, I cannot come. See, the Christian gospel is only understood insofar as people must realize that they are guilty before God. Like the Jews, many people think they're okay because of their religious affiliation. Israel was God's chosen people. They felt they were acceptable or justified to God because of their heritage and because of their observance of certain rites or rituals that were acceptable to God and exempt from any kind of judgment. There's a lot of people out there nowadays, I think, that feel the same way as the religious leaders, those who are considered themselves moral in their own eyes. Because we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter what intentions we have done it with. It's not going to get you to that supper, that banquet in heaven, in the kingdom of God. It's not going to do it. People place their hopes and emphasis or attention on their religious effort or works, like their upbringing, nationality, family background, orthodoxy, activity, and morality. You can see through passages in Scripture where many came to Christ and said, did we not do this in your name? Did we not profess this? Did we not exercise that? Exercise demons? And he said, go away. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. These people were living. They thought they were good. And Jesus was telling them, this religious facade you're putting on doesn't help. They were like whitewashed sepulchers. And inside they were like as dead man's bones. Everybody wants to look good. But nobody wants you to see what they're really like. It's hard for us to say that we've sinned. Don't you think? Talking to fellow Christians, even in this congregation, how many of you are going to say, hey, I did this. I sinned in this manner. Can you help me? Many of us won't do that. Because we feel that somebody's going to look at us and say, hey, I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm not perfect. I shouldn't be in the church. Guess what? None of us should be here. And you should feel comfortable enough in the church family to say, hey, I'm having trouble with this sin or that sin. And say, can you help me? Pastor Hendricks talked this morning about good counsel. We can't be afraid to expose ourselves. Lay your burdens upon one another. That's what we're here for, right? To lift each other up? To get us back on the path? That's what it's all about. You can't do that if you think you're good in your own mind, and you're in your own sight. It says in Proverbs 14, 12, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That's where everybody's headed if they don't accept the second invitation. You know, who else placed their hopes on who they were and where they came from? Paul did, didn't he? In Philippians 3, he's talking about, hey, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, 
If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof, he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, that which is in the law, blameless. Do you think he had a little pride problem at that point? There's a guy that thought, hey, because of my association, who I'm with, where I'm at, what position I have, I'm good. I don't need anything else. And in verse 9, And be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith, the faith in Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That's in verse 9 of Philippians 3. Romans 10, 3, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Why do you think people reject invitations? Hey, I can figure this out. Didn't Pastor Hendricks just talk about that this morning? Hey, I can figure this out. I got this. That's exactly what he said this morning. I can't believe I remembered it. I got this. I was listening to announcements. But I got this. I can do this on my own. I can make it. Can you? Are you depending on Christian parents, church affiliation, or just being good to make you right with God? Salvation can't be earned. It only comes through faith in Christ. To receive him, you must acknowledge his claims. Israel did not welcome Jesus. The nation of Israel outright rejected him as their Messiah. Do you think that's what the people were doing when they rejected your invitation to Cantata? Think about it. You asked them to come. If they were a friend of yours, don't you think they would want to do that just for being a friend? I want to show you support. I'm with you. I got your back. Why don't people come? Why are they afraid to hear that message when they need it? And it's a message of love and mercy. And God is showing that to them every day in his goodness. The rain falleth on the just and the unjust. Everybody on this earth experiences the goodness of God. Those who believe and those who do not. But those who do not believe don't even know what's going on. They can't even see that that's God's goodness that's being poured out on them. You know what they see? When something bad happens to them. Hey, God, why'd you do this to me? Why me? Why not? Because sometimes God has to show his justice and give us examples by taking somebody's life to show you and to remind us that this is what is our due. We are like, do you ever sit and thank God, hey, thank you for giving me another breath because God could strike any of us down if he wanted to. At any time before we came to know the Lord, he could have struck us down. But when did you come to know the Lord? And how did you come to know the Lord? Were you thankful that that one person came and said, Hey, I have something good for you. You're not going to do it on your own. And these people that don't want to come to the invitation, those that were bid, look at the end. None of those that of the men that were bidden shall taste of my supper. Those that have heard the message, those that have been asked to come, 
and rejected that message, they're not going to partake of that supper. And Jesus said in John 10, If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though you believe not me, believe the works, that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Jesus not only came to tell of the gospel message and to repent, he showed the Jewish people and the rest of the world, hey, the things that the Messiah can do, that are written of what he can do, I'm doing them. If you don't believe me for my words, believe me for the works that I do, because only the Messiah can do what I'm doing. Why, doesn't, why don't people want to hear that? So they began to make excuses why they couldn't, wouldn't, or just didn't want to come. The first two, like I said, one had uh, land and the other had oxen. You can consider those material things. I don't know if, for those of you that heard my last message, but sometimes the thing that holds us from God is our preoccupation with the things of this world. I don't know if that's true with that, but they were preoccupied. They were worried about the things of this world. Nobody buys land without seeing it. Nobody's going to buy oxen without seeing them. How many of you that are farmers would buy like some, a work animal for your farm that you wanted to do a specific duty and then you didn't even look at it? Yeah, I got it. I'll, yeah, I'll take it. And then you go get it and it's a nag. Or it won't perform. It's lame. I don't, I don't know how many people are that frivolous with their money and not really worried about looking. Do you guys remember years ago they had these 3D picture arts? And it had like a picture on it, and you had to look at it a certain way, and inside that picture was a 3D image that would pop out. I don't know if any of you, some of you are too young, but I remember those. I didn't get it at first, but I had to figure it out. You had to, you had to stare at it. You had to look deeply into it, like the Word of God. You have to look into it. And the only way you're going to see that 3D image is if you take the time. You do what that book suggests that you do so that you can see that image. But how many people just said, I can't see it. I don't care. I don't. It's frivolous. I don't need to look at that kind of stuff. But anyway, the third person said, I, have a, I just got married. I have a wife. Now, this could be an illustration or representation of a man putting family first. But if you're a real good leader of your household and a man of God, shouldn't you put Christ first? They all had excuses of why I can't come. They're good. They sound good, right? But don't look at and listen to their excuses. Think about what they're thinking in their hearts. And that's the third guy said, and I cannot come. Don't even ask me anymore. I've heard it just before. I don't want to hear it anymore. I cannot come. That's, he just said flat out, I cannot come. Well, I believe that this is the hard and impenitent heart that Romans 2 talks about. And that Greek word for hardness is called sclerotes or sclerosis, where you have hardening of the arteries. I heard one Bible teacher say, hardening of the arteries will kill you, but hardening of the heart will send you to hell. 
in verse 21, we see, I'm going to move forward. So here we go. So the servant came and shooed his Lord these things. He told him, hey, these people don't want to come. The master of the house, being angry, told his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. You know, these kind of people, in Matthew 9, in the story of Levi and his supper, a lot of these people were with them. And if they weren't, remember my, the story of uh, Lazarus and the rich man? They didn't even care about Lazarus. But these kind of people were called sinners. They were looked down upon by these religious leaders, by the upper class, these lawyers or scribes. They considered them outcast, rejected by society, and ultimately thought to be rejected by God. Unclean. Remember? They said, if, you, if you're really suffering, that's because you have sin in your life. Remember Job? That's what his friends told him. <laughs> you know why this is happening? You got stuff going on. You got to clean it up. These people thought that these people were cursed because of their lives were so bad and so sinful. But they never reached out to touch them. <clears throat> Reach out a hand to pick them up. If you look at the, the uh, examples or the names of these people, the blind, the lame, the poor, the halt, these are all people that are going to need help. They can't get there by themselves. Blind person's not going to be able to find it. A lame person can't walk. You have to help them. You have to pick them up and guide them yourself. I believe the poor is symbolic of the people that have no spiritual food to eat. No spiritual clothing, as in the parable of the wedding feast. They are in debt and cannot pay, but they know it. I can't pay it. The maimed, those who may be crippled by sin, weak and strengthless, unable to keep the law of God and atone for their sin, can't do it on their own. The halt is another type of lameness or being unable to walk. It says, those that may be confused about matters of religion, not knowing not which side to take, and falter and fail in the exercise of it. I look at this also as somebody like an agnostic. They can't decide where those people that they're talking about. They're tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. They're, they're led to follow fables and tales. They don't know which way to go. Why? Because the Jewish people aren't showing them the right way. They aren't showing them the character of God through their lives. So why should I believe you? Why should I believe you? You're no different than that person over there. We're supposed to be different. We are now the ones calling on that second invitation to the people to the banquet. It is up to us. These are people that thought that there was no hope for them. Paul felt the same way in 1 Timothy, who was before a blasphemer and persecutor. He was a violent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of the Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all accept, acceptation. Sorry. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He had to recognize where he was. And these people that say, God won't take me. You don't know the things I did in my life. 
Paul's just telling you that he was a murderer. He persecuted people of the way. He was a violent man. And he even acknowledged, hey, Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So there's not anything too bad that you have done in your life that God can't take away. He had, Paul had scoffed at the teaching of Jesus. He hunted down and murdered God's people. And it says, before coming to faith in, in Acts 9, 1 through 9, God forgave Paul and used him mightily for his kingdom. He was also forgive you. Do you know that when he had the scales from his eyes, it said he was set apart from his mother's womb. Paul didn't know that. But God had a plan for him. And he was used mightily. As much as he pers- as hard as he persecuted the church, that's how hard he spoke of Jesus Christ and his saving blood. He was very intense, a very zealous man, now on the opposite side to tell others of the love of Christ. Are you rejecting that invitation because you feel guilt-ridden or unforgivable in your past? Don't. Here we go. Now we go to the third group of people, or the next group. And the servant said, It is done. Thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto his servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be fooled, or filled. Guess where he is going now? At this point, with the lame, the blind, the halt, that was the extension of Israel. Those that these Jewish leaders and Sadducees would not touch. Now he's going out further geographically. He's going out further. Make disciples of all nations. Hey, I have room. And those people that you said that aren't a people, the Gentiles, guess what? I'm calling them. He said, urge, persuade everyone to come indicates that the offer of salvation would be extended to the Gentiles and to the ends of the earth. It says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people in Romans. The word Gentile is associated with a person that is Greek and speak, Greek speaking, that is not a Jewish person. And you know the plural word for Gentiles? Ethnos? refers to heathens or nations or peoples. How many times have you heard that or read that in your Bible? Nations, people, heathen. That is God saying the Gentiles are welcome. God said to Abraham, I will bless all the families of the earth through you. He didn't say just your descendants, all the families of the earth. And in saying all the nations, he's saying the Gentiles. Even back then, in Genesis, he's saying, my message is going to go out to the Gentiles back then. They alone had access to the Lord, Israel, the law, covenants, and the prophets to guide them. They were to follow God's statutes and to influence those with whom they came in contact. How many people are we influencing in the correct way? Some of the Gentile names you might recognize are Rahab. What was she? 
She was a Canaanite and a harlot. Naaman, he was an officer, a high officer in the Syrian army. Who told him about it? He had a little servant, Jewish servant girl in his house. She told him to go seek the prophet and he'll tell you what to do. Ruth, a Moabitess. Notice these aren't Jewish people. Who said to her mother-in-law, thy people shall be my people and thy God my God. Are we doing that for people? But over time, Israel's influence waned or lessened as the nation became more influenced by the world. Israel was failing in their calling. And we see in Malachi 1.11 through 14 that God said, His name shall be great among the Gentiles and the heathen. A time was coming when even the Gentiles everywhere will recognize Jehovah's greatness. If you're not going to do it, I'll find somebody that will. And you know, the Jews still had their prejudices in the New Testament. In Acts 10, God gave Peter that vision of the clean and unclean animals. And that vision was a meaning that Peter was not to look upon the Gentiles as inferior people. That's what I'm thinking. Whom God would not redeem. I don't think God was telling him about food. Because who was coming to get him? Servants from their master, Cornelius who was a Gentile. Peter went to Cornelius' house and preached salvation. While doing so, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. Acts 10.44 After witnessing this, Peter then spoke to the believing Jews about what he had witnessed. In Acts 11.17 For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> what was I that I could was understand God. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell upon the, the Jewish disciples, and they had certain gifts. They spoke in tongues, and they did certain things. And the same thing happened at Cornelius' house, and Peter said, hey, you know what? This is the same thing that happened to us. God's telling me, hey, let's tell them about it. He's telling them to go to them as well. So... Now we're at verse 24 and at the end of the parable. And see that Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. And there's also lawyers or scribes, if you look uh, further up in the parable, in the first half of the parable, or the chapter. And it says in verse 1 of this chapter, when he says you, the you here are plural, to include the lawyers in verse 3 of uh, chapter 14. And we're also talking about the Pharisees at whom the house he was at. And any Jewish religious leader there. We also find out that Jesus is the master or literally the Lord of the story because he said, For I say unto you, I. Remember when he said to those people in Matthew 7, Didn't we do this? Verily, verily, I say unto you that you... He says, I'm going to judge, and you're not coming in. He tells them, and in this end, he says, For I say unto you, I'm saying this to you. If you don't get it, I can't do any more about it. <clears throat> He's saying, For I say unto you, that, and this great supper, as I said, is the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
If you don't want to hear Jesus' message, if you don't want to hear that second invitation, that the supper is ready, we are living in the last days. We don't know how long they'll come, but they said after the ascension of Christ, we are in the last days. He could return at any moment, pastor says quite often. And we're to be ready, like a thief in the night, right? Isn't that what Jesus said? We have to be ready. And those that don't know the gospel, when is the last time we've given an invitation? Pastor Hendricks was talking about when you go out on visitation and stuff. Instead of saying, I thought of this, I said, instead of saying, where would you go tonight if you died? I would say, do you believe in Jesus Christ and will you accept his invitation? No. Can you tell me why you, did not, you will not accept his invitation? And I think at that point, when you find out why they don't want to attend or why they don't want to hear about Jesus, then I would be able, and I shouldn't say I because I'm not in the core group. I applaud those, and they're probably looking at me like, hey, step up and come out with us, and then you, you can talk. But I, I really appreciate those people that go out, but we have to find out why they don't want to accept that invitation. Why? So it says... Jesus also lets them know that none of these men, none that were bidden, shall taste of my supper. That is to say that the leaders and devout ones of Israel and people like them who have rejected this invitation will not eat of the supper. What can we learn from this? Don't make assumptions about your place at the banquet. That was in the first half of chapter 14 about being humbled, that you feel that you are worthy and included because of who you are and what you have done. Don't, you can't say, I'm already in, I know. Jesus wants us to. Jesus wants us all to be saved, and he wants to have his house full. He's not willing that any should perish. perish. But he's more willing to save sinners than sinners are wanting to be saved. Number three, we believers are the servant and called to invite people, all people, to the banquet. And in order to invite, we must go out. We invite all not excluding any. We keep inviting, even those we most expect to respond, to reject the invitation. Invite those who know their need and are more likely to come. This compelling and urging is to kind of give them a nudge. Give them that taste, that little taste and know that the Lord is good. Give them some passages that wet their whistle so you speak as my dad would say all the time I got to wet my whistle it's a tough thing so are we going to go out and give invitations what is I don't know who's going to see this I think most of you are saved here but like Pastor Hendrick said this morning on the the internet or social media are you going to accept the invitation what is your RSVP please reply thank you for listening if you'd like to contact us please write us at P.O. Box 126-541 Harrisburg, Pennsylvania 17112 
and visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time.